So I wanted to recap just real quick. Pastor Mark in the last two weeks has, has shared with us that we are created to be more, to do more, and to go more. That we, we were created to, to be more, that, that there were things that we, we are to understand, and, and not just to intellectually understand, but to live out. And, but, but before we can live them out, we have to understand who we are, who we are created to be. And then once we can do that, then we go and do more, and then we go more. And he also has taught us and, and walked us through that we have a core identity, that we have a core purpose, and we have a core place. And in my study, I loved that, that the, there's the, the core place a lot of times is simply where God has you. I love to travel. I love to go different places. I love the experiences of those things. But, but I was reminded, I was reminded as I was, I was going through the information for the Made for More series that, that a lot of times your core place is right where God has you in this moment, in this season. And I think each and every one of you are here for a, a, specific, a specific reason. I don't think you just happen to be here by chance. And I believe it is so that you can know and never doubt again how much you are loved. And we're going to focus on our core identity and that we were made to be more. Because we were made to be loved. That is one of our core identities, one of our core purposes, that we were created by God for him to love us. That's really, really hard for a lot of us because many of us in this room, we're, we were maybe not loved well by the people that we could see, feel, and touch. And when that happens, it becomes really challenging to be loved by a God we cannot see, feel, and touch. And so it becomes this abstract idea. It becomes this theory. It becomes um, theology. Instead of becoming something that is applicable and real and life-changing, because when I, I, I like to tell the story, when, when I first met Jesus, I didn't know any of the stories. When I prayed the prayer, which is not what gets you saved, but when I prayed the prayer to, to let Jesus know, I believe in you, I trust you, I want to place my life in you and my faith in you, I didn't, I'd never read the Bible. But I knew one thing and one thing alone, that God loved me. That he loved me more than I could ever imagine. He'd loved me no matter what, no matter what I had done, am doing, or will do. And it was without condition, without end, without flaw. And I raised my hand and I said, I will do whatever it takes to get that. And then I found out it was simply believing. I was like, check, done. If that's all it takes is, is for me to believe and, and to, to, to place my hope and my faith to receive that kind of love I was in. That was almost 18 years ago now, which is crazy for me to think about, but it was right here. It was right here in this church. And that's why I'm, I'm honored, honored to be able to share with you this morning how much God loves you. Each week in our Made for More series, we're gonna talk about a shift. A shift in our thinking, a shift in our life, a shift in our application. And today's shift is to go from more obligation to more love. To go from more striving to more resting, more proving to more acceptance, more earning to more receiving. Because guys, I'm going to 
counseling moment with Brian here, this has always been a struggle for me. The more that I studied and began to understand theologically and intellectually how much God loved me, I felt this need to prove to him that he didn't waste his gift. I felt this need to prove to everyone else around me that I was worthy to receive God's love. And so we serve, at least I do, I serve and I did and I did and I do this and I'd go to this Bible study and I'd go to this group and I'd, I'd do this Sunday school and I'd do this event and I'd, and I'd make sure I was reading my Bible so many times a day and I was praying and I was doing all these things and it just felt flat. Have you ever had those times where you're praying all the time and you just feel like you're talking to the ceiling? You're reading your Bible and it used to be alive and it used to be life-changing and all of a sudden it's just words. You come to church and they play your favorite song and you're like, ah, that's all right. Pastor gets up and gives you a message and you're like, yeah, that's probably for someone else. Because we've spent so much time trying to prove to God that he didn't waste his love on us that we've forgotten that part of our job, part of our role, part of what God wants us to do is just what you're doing. Just sit down, take a deep breath, and simply be loved. We shouldn't be serving in ministries out of obligation. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be serving in, 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 in different places because that's what we're supposed to do or because there's a need or there's a space what we have to do first is be loved. And out of that love, we then begin to serve. We then begin to do things. Going to church should not be an obligation, a thing you check off your to-do list for the week. It should be a chance for you to be loved with other people who are loved. This morning, we're going to walk through Ephesians 3, and we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus. Because he wanted them to understand this. And I'm really excited because I used to have a, a favorite part of this section of scripture. And in my study, in my time of prayer, it's changed. So if you have your, book, your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 7 first. Verse 7 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul is explaining to us in, in one sentence that he's a minister of the gospel, the minister of the saving grace of Jesus, the minister of the love of God because of a gift. Because of God's grace. He's not a minister of this gospel because he's trying to prove that he's no longer who he used to be. Paul is one to, to admit that he was the greatest of all sinners. But here he's saying to the church of Ephesus, I'm, I don't have this job, I don't have this role, I'm not in this position to prove that I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm not trying to earn my way out of who I used to be. I am in this position because of a gift of God's grace. And that's where all of us should be. Pastor Mark has talked about being in your sweet spot and knowing what God has created you to do. 
And that's what Paul is saying. God gave me the gift of grace to be able to do this, and so I'm going to do it because he gave me that gift, because he loves me, not because I need to prove something or earn something, or because I've got this gift, now I've got an obligation to use it. Everything has to be centered from, sent from, I think of like all the wires coming to one central thing, and that is being loved. Because if we're trying to do all the things that God has asked us to do without being attached to his love, we're going to burn out. We're going to run out. We're going to be exhausted. Because that's the crazy thing. And my wife Dana can attest to this. There's been some times and seasons in our life where if you looked at at our schedule, you'd think that we would be absolutely, unbelievably exhausted. But there are times in those seasons that we are filled with energy because what we're doing is what we were created to do. And we're doing it not to prove, not out of obligation, not to earn, but simply because we're loved. And in those seasons where we were living out of that love, everything else became so much easier. Work was not work anymore. The things that were stresses weren't nearly as stressful because we knew that the creator of the universe, the God who made us, the God who loves us, loved us so much and it was unconditionally, wasn't going anywhere, that we could step out and do more things because we were filled with the life that he had given us. And the word minister there, it's not a, it's not a, a, a term of, of exaltation. It's not a term of I'm, I'm higher than you. What he's really saying is I'm a servant to this gospel. I'm serving because of God's gift to me. And he says it's a gift that was given to him through the power. And, and in, in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about power quite often. And in verse 16, let's jump down there. He goes over it again. Ephesians 3.16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The power that we have to do more, to go more, comes from the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And then he lists three things that that power is supposed to do. First, It's to allow Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. That is step number one. Step number one of being loved, of understanding that you are loved, is to accept Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. And that idea to dwell means to live together. In John 14, Jesus has John write down, John records Jesus saying that both he and the Father, that Jesus and the Father would come and make their home with us. And that idea is not a, it's it's not an idea of visiting my home. It's not a guest coming to hang out with me for a little bit. It's not someone coming to watch a Chiefs game with me tonight. It's someone who comes to live with me forever. And I think we could spend months and years just trying to understand this topic trying to understand how amazing it is that God himself chooses to not just be with us. That's not enough for him. It's not enough for him to just walk beside us. 
He says, I have to go one step further and I have to become one with you. And I've said it before, but in the Old Testament, God didn't do this. God didn't dwell or live with the individual. He lived in tents, he lived in tabernacles, he lived in the Ark of the Covenant, he lived in the temple, but it wasn't the individual. That God himself, again, the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe, decided to, for lack of a better term, cram himself into us. And that should be life-changing. Not like a little life-changing, I'm talking entire purpose, entire identity, entire creation, completely new. And then it says that that power will give us the ability to be rooted and grounded in love, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. And then the last one is to comprehend and know the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And so let's go back and look at being rooted and grounded in love which is found in verse 17. So Paul continues, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. This used to be my favorite part of Ephesians 3. Because I loved the idea and the picture that my brain had of being a tree rooted in God's love. He uses an agricultural term for us to understand, a word picture for us to understand that, that a tree uses its roots, will take its roots and dig down deep into the soil to get all the nutrients, to get all the life out of that soil. And in the same way, Paul is telling us for us as Christians to dig our roots deep into that soil as deep as possible and pull out all the life that God has for us in his love. That our roots should be doing everything, going wherever it is necessary for us to be filled, for us to find life in the love of God. I was driving around town recently and I saw some of our sidewalks that, that need a little bit of help. And they need a little bit of help because if you look at them, a root of a tree has driven itself through the concrete and the sidewalk is bowed up over the root. And normally I'd just be like, oh, Harrisonville should really fix their sidewalks. But this week, because I'm thinking about being rooted and grounded in love, it hit me that that tree was not okay with not reaching the nutrients that were on the other side of that sidewalk. That there was a barrier between that tree and the nutrients it needed, and it didn't say, oh, man, that's too hard. I just, I'm just, life has put obstacles in front of me and, and all the excuses as to why. No, it said, I'm going to go directly through that obstacle to get the nutrients that I need. And in the same way, life is going to put sidewalks in your way for you to understand and to comprehend and to know God's love. Because that love is what gives us life. That love is what fills us and causes us to be able to do more things, causes us to make a difference in other people's lives, causes us to be great parents and great grandparents, phenomenal great grandparents. And so what the enemy is going to do is he is going to set things up in your life to be the sidewalk that is a barrier between you and what God has for you, which is his love. And we've got to stop coming to that barrier and being like, oh, man, I can't. Be the tree and force your way through it. 
destroy that sidewalk and grab a hold of the life that is found on the other side. And the other thing those roots do is it, it makes the tree stable. It makes the tree able to withstand the storms and the winds that life has for us. So I'm, 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 I'm not very old yet, but I recognize that life likes to be filled with storms. And what happens way too often for me, and if it happens for me, I'm gonna bet it happens for you, is that the storms of life come and that wind begins to push and our roots, not completely, but just in one section, kind of pull out of God's love. We've got one set of, one set of our roots that, that are not driving deep into God's love. Now, because we're good Christian people, we're still gonna serve, we're still gonna do, we're still gonna do all the things that God has asked us to do, praying and worshiping and going to church and doing all that stuff, and all of it feels flat. All of it, it's not the same, it doesn't mean the same, it doesn't impact us the same, it, we don't have the same feeling, we don't have the same emotional connection to the worship songs like I talked about. And it's because we're not in his love. Because the moment we come unconnected from that, we're doing it out of ourselves. I'm not good enough to minister to anyone by myself. If my roots come out of God's love, I'm not good enough to minister to anyone, to be any good to anyone, because I'm doing it out of myself. But the moment that my roots get back into that soil, get back into God's love, all of a sudden I read the same verse I've read a hundred times and it just makes my brain want to explode and my heart want to expand and tears come to my eyes because it's new and it's living and it speaks to me. And the same songs that we've played before that last time I sang and, and they were good, but this time bring me to tears is because my roots are back in that love. And so this morning, I think all of us collectively need to do a root check, individually and corporately as a church. Where are our roots missing from the soil? Where are our roots exposed and we're doing things on our own and we're exhausted and we're burned out and we're frustrated? Because life is going to be frustrating, don't get me wrong, but it's the kind of frustration that you can't move past. And we all know exactly what I'm talking about. Look back over here and look at your roots and go, oh, I'm not connected to God's love. And, and getting back connected to God's love isn't always doing anything. Sometimes it's just resting and allowing God to love you. And then he uses a construction term to be grounded. And I'm no construction guy, so if I'm incorrect in this, please correct me later. Or don't and just let me be wrong. When a building settles on its foundation, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't crack anymore. That once a building has settled onto its foundation, onto its base, a building has come to settle exactly where it's going to be, it's much more sturdy. And I think about myself, how many times life has tried to crack me, and, and, or I've already got cracks and life is trying to expose them. But if I can settle and rest on the foundation of God's love, 
all of a sudden I'm so much more stable, I'm so much more sturdy, I'm not going anywhere. And then Paul continues. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, again, strength and power, to comprehend with all the saints. I think that's key. I think that's absolutely key that to understand God's love, we have to do it in community. You'll never fully grasp God's love until you are with other people. And it happens to me all the time in small groups. When I'm in small groups or when I'm talking to someone and they're sharing about how God is moving in their life, I can take a step back and go, man, God is moving in my life too. Because a lot of times what happens is when someone is talking about how God is moving in their life, we tend to get a little jealous because we don't always feel like God is moving in our life. What I challenge you to do is instead take a step back and look at all the places God's doing the same thing. And so when I'm with people and I hear the stories of what God is doing, and, and last night at the Wild Game dinner hearing people talking about different things with their, with, their, with their fathers and what God is doing, it gave me a chance to step back and go, yeah, God does love me. He is there for me. He's not going anywhere. Because as much as I like to say that I get God's love, I forget it all the time. But you remind me how much I'm loved. When I see you on Sunday morning interacting together and loving each other, and, and one of my favorite is, is after church when I'm standing up here and it just gets kind of loud, that reminds me how much God loves me. When I hear you singing and I see your hands get raised and I recognize that you are interacting with your God, it reminds me how much I'm loved. When Kay plays a song on the piano that I recognize, because I'm not great at that. I'm not great, at, like I'll hear the tune, but I'm not always great at being able to know what song it is today. I knew exactly what song it was and it, made me, it reminded me how much God loves me. We cannot, will not understand or comprehend or know God's love if we're not in community. Because there's no one there to remind you. And this world and the enemy is really, really good at helping us forget how much God loves us. Then we move into my new favorite part of Ephesians 3. Paul asks God that, that the church of Ephesus may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love? It's one of those I'd read over it. I've read Ephesians 3 multiple times. I've just read over that all the time. But it struck me this time. It, 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 almost, it wouldn't let me move beyond that. It, God would not let me move beyond studying anything else until I began to understand that there's dimensions to his love. The breadth of it is, is also, the way I understand it, is the width of something. And I got to thinking about a river. You, you, you measure a, a river by its width in certain places. And the width is how much ground it covers. What does God's love cover? And it's wide enough to cover all of my sin, all of your sin, all of anyone else in this room's sin, that it's wide enough to accept all people. That God's love is so Wide. There's so much breadth to it that there's not a sin that you could do that he cannot cover. 
There's not a mistake that you've made that he has not covered. That gives me hope. It gives me hope to know that in my worst moments, in the times where I blow it, where the times I have to go to my kids again and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 I was angry. I'm sorry. I was frustrated. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. Whatever it is, this week I've been reminded of that river that is just wider than you could ever see to cover all of my mistakes. And there's length to it. When we talk about length, we talk about where and when something begins and where and when it will end. God's love is eternal. It is love without end. It's a love that never goes away. I just saw recently a friend of mine reposted it. Francis Chan a while back had, a, had a, a, an example. And he had a, a rope that was really long. Like it it kind of went around the sanctuary. And, and the one inch at the end, he had painted red. And he said, this one inch represents your life. And the rest of the rope is eternity. And, and, and he's making the point that we so often live for this one inch. We want to make sure we have enough money and we have enough fun and we have enough this and we have the right truck and we have the right car and we have the right house and we have the right job. And we do all these things for this much. But then eternity goes on forever. And it struck me that so does God's love. That I can't escape it. There'll never be an end to it. In all the times that I give up, when I unfortunately give up on people or I give up on situations, I am reminded this week that God will never do that to me. God will never give up on our relationship. Even if, I'm not, even if I'm not that involved and I'm really not pursuing it, he's not going to stop. Then it has a height. And his love lifts us up and elevates us. Not to be proud or to be arrogant, but so that we can have a different view on life. Because when you get elevated, you can see things so much better. And when we can know and understand the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, this love that is infinite and covers all of our sins, it lifts us up so that we can see what is real and see what he is doing and see what is happening. Because too often I like to live in my feelings. And I need to be lifted up above my feelings to see what is really happening. And he does that through his love. And there's a depth to it. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was the most humiliating form of death that anyone could, could have in that time, in that day and age. And he was obedient to the point of being embarrassed, that he was willing to go so low that no one could ever be lower than him. So that on your lowest day, in that low season, when it seems like everything is falling down around you and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you feel like you are as low as humanly possible, Jesus says, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can go lower. I can go lower and I can lift you up and elevate you all the way to heaven. 
so that no one could ever be lower than him. One of my favorite verses in in all of scripture, and it's one that has come to to try and define who I am as a person and, and how I do ministry is John 13, 34, and 35. And it says, this new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The reason that's my, one of my favorite verses is because what precedes that. And it's when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The God of the universe who created flesh and bone put on flesh and bone to come and wash the feet of the flesh and bone he created. How humbling is that? How low did the God of the universe go to demonstrate his love for us? Because that's what I'm beginning to grasp is that God never just says, I love you. He says, I love you, now let me show you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he told him so. That he wrote it in a book that you could read that he loves you. No. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He had to do something. There had to be an action that he had to take to demonstrate his love. I'm going to challenge each and every one of you today, myself included. What action steps are you taking to demonstrate the love that you have for people? Because words are just words. They're great and they're meaningful and they're wonderful. But if we're not taking action steps, we are not demonstrating the same love of the Father. Because that love always has action steps. Paul continues into verse 19. And to know the love of Christ. He doesn't say to believe it. He doesn't say to trust it. He doesn't say to have faith in it. He says to know it. And it's not an intellectual knowing. It is an experiential knowing. Too many of us, we know intellectually, we understand in our brains that God loves us. A lot of us theologically understand it. The Bible says this and the Bible says that, and it all comes together to show us that God loves us. And Paul is saying here, we need to go beyond that, that we need to know it. We need to know it like we know we're standing on the ground, that we know we're sitting in the chair, that we know beyond any doubt the love of God. I found this great quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, To a great many religious people, the love of Jesus is not a solid, substantial thing at all. It's a beautiful fiction, a sentimental belief, even a formal theory. But to Paul, it was real, substantial, substantial, a measurable fact. He had considered it this way and that way and the other way, and it was evidently real to him. That is why when the part in Ephesians 3 where it talks about the dimensions of God's love, that is why that has become my new favorite part is because it reminds me that it is a tangible, measurable love. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. That's included. But it's bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. And Paul says so. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ, but it's unknowable. So a lot of times I find rather frustrating. I get, I get really frustrated when someone tells me to do something that is humanly impossible. He says, know it. I want you to know it, but it goes beyond knowing. 
And what Paul is trying to get us to understand is the moment that we begin to, to see how wide God's love, love is, to understand the breadth of God's love, that we see how many sins it covers up and the sins of myself and you and everyone else and it covers up all these sins, Paul says, that's cute, but it's wider. We begin to understand how deep God went to serve us and to love us and to demonstrate his love for that and we understand the depth of what God has done for us, Paul says, that's cute, but it's so much deeper than that. He says, keep thinking about it. Always try and know it. Always try and wrap your brain around it, but always know it's gonna be bigger, wider, longer, higher, deeper than anything you could ever think. Because we cannot understand unconditional love. but he wants us to know God's love because he continues in the next phrase to tell us that he wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. Pastor Mark has talked about this the last couple of weeks that, that God's intention for the church is to saturate the community, to, to fill every nook and cranny and space of our community with us. And here Paul is telling us that God wants to fill every nook and cranny and small space of us with him and his love. That when we act and we move and we function and it's time for us to, to do more and to go more, that we are doing it out of being filled with him. Not out of our strength, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of trying to earn anything, but because we are filled with all the fullness of him. I'm a fairly large guy, but I am very, very small in comparison to God. And that's why I use the phrase that he tries to cram himself into me. Because it gives me the, the picture in my brain that he's trying to cram all of himself in me, which means that stuff is going to overflow. That is ministry. That is service. That is all the things that God has asked us to do. That's loving other people. It's not because we choose to. It's not because we're commanded to. It's because he tries to fill us with all the fullness of himself, and he can't. And stuff spills out. And that spilling out is what you are called to do. It's not out of anything that we can accomplish. And then Paul starts making things up. Seriously, he does, I promise you. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. Some of your translations will use the phrase exceedingly abundantly. In my study, I found out that Paul is basically making up words. It's like us in the Midwest saying much more betterer. It's much more betterer than you could ever think. He's saying it is exceedingly abundantly what God can do. Because when we start thinking about knowing God's love and wrapping our brains around it and be, filling, be filled with all the fullness of God, we begin to go, how in the world is that going to happen? And God says, I've got the answer. I can do so much more than you could ever think or imagine. In fact, I could do exceedingly abundantly more. Paul is trying to use words that are inadequate. And so he uses two words, crams them together and says, I think this will do. Exceedingly abundantly. So abundantly it exceeds measure or description or my favorite uh, definition of exceedingly abundantly that I found. Super abundantly above the greatest abundance. I'm going to put it on a shirt. 
super abundantly above the greatest abundance, which the greatest abundance that you can think of, God can do super abundantly more than that. I'm an only child. I spent my whole childhood imagining things. I didn't have friends. Okay, I was an only child. And pray for me later. Whatever I can imagine, the greatest abundance that God wants to do in my life, the greatest abundance of his love that I could ever imagine, it is actually super abundantly more than that. The grace that God has for me, the forgiveness that God has for me, the purpose that God has for me in my life, the purpose that God has for you in your life, the ministry that God has set out for you to do, the, the, the destiny that he has placed in your heart, in your life, is super abundantly above the greatest that you could ever imagine. Why? Because he loves you. That's it. It's not, it's not because I'm special or you're special or anyone else is special. He gives us callings and purposes and sweet spots and things that we're supposed to do because he wants to cram himself into us, fill us to the brim, and out of that, spill out extra stuff, and that extra stuff will get people saved and get them connected and get them uh, discipled and get them set free because he loves us. And what's really challenging is he loves everyone else too. It says, for God so loved the world. Our source of endless motivation, our source of endless fuel to do the life that God has called us to do is his love. For all of you who are exhausted at your jobs, pause. Make sure your roots are in his love and then go back to your job, which is the calling that he has for you. We were talking about it just the other day with the, with the elders and the staff, that we've got to get past this idea that only pastors are called people. The job that you have is your calling. He has called you to that. He has called you to do that. And in those moments where you're exhausted and frustrated and feel like you can't go on, check your roots. Are you grounded in that love? We don't serve or love or go to church out of obligation. We do it because we're loved. Our core identity, one of the the, the fundamental things of us is we were created to be loved. And I came up with this really, really cheesy analogy and I'm gonna share it. So we have to think of ourselves as a piece of chicken. Stay with me, it gets worse from here. And we're going to be thrown on the grill and that grill is doing ministry and is serving and is all things life. If you take a piece of chicken that is simply thawed out and throw it on that grill, it's going to burn up pretty quick. But if you marinate it, you let it sit for a while in something, it'll last a lot longer on that grill. We need to be marinated and sit in God's love for a while before we ever attempt to go and do anything for him. That's why a lot of you right now feel burned out. Burned out on serving, burned out in ministry, burned out in church, burned out in life, burned out in your marriage, burned out on your parenting, burned out on your family. You are burned out because you've been trying to do life as a dry chicken. 
Thank you. I knew somebody would give me one. Get back in the Ziploc bag, zip it up, sit in some sweet sauce of Jesus' love, and be filled with his love before you do anything else. Because once you are marinated, that grill ain't so hot. You can survive and last and do amazing things. The other thing is, marinated chicken's a lot better than dry chicken. People want to eat marinated chicken. People want to be around you when you are marinated in God's love. No one wants to be around me when I'm unrooted from his love. You can talk to my wife. She'll lie to you that I'm a great, amazing human being. But when I am unrooted from that love, nobody wants to be around me. I am not winsome. I am not attractional. I am not any of those things. I am my flesh again. So this morning, get back rooted in God's love. Because I always think that, that a message that I give that you don't know what to do with is kind of a waste of your time. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I want you to do. Nothing. I don't. I don't. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to be still. Take 10, 15, 20 good, solid, deep breaths and find as many scriptures as you can that tell you how much God loves you. And then when you know it, go do something.